Hello and welcome. You've landed on the first episode of Heatwork, a podcast dedicated to celebrating, discussing, and improving woodfire culture. We are a core group of six hosts who are all positively entrenched in woodfiring. We love to talk about it, and we love to talk about the people who do it. I won't go too much into detail here, as we're about to introduce ourselves at length and open a discussion which we hope to expand and elaborate on over many episodes. We will offer a preliminary disclaimer. Because we are keenly interested in improving wood fire culture with an aim to encourage more equity and inclusivity, we will dive into topics surrounding diversity, inclusiveness, and a critique of existing norms. We want to examine where we've been, where we are, where we're going, and how we can keep learning and doing better. Part of this process can be painful, as it involves opening ourselves to self-reflection and also outside criticism, which often makes us vulnerable and uncomfortable. None of us is perfect, a statement which emphatically includes us, your hosts, and none of us looks to claim the ultimate insight into resolving problems of equity, representation, outreach, and inclusion. We are having this conversation specifically because we don't have all the answers. We're here to focus on figuring out how we can implement positive change. That kind of change starts with conversations like this one. Welcome, everyone. We thought we'd start off with introductions. Do we want to go alphabetical? Sure. <laughs> Alex, you're on. Hi, my name is Alex Slidell. My pronouns are they, them. I am in Portland, Oregon at the moment. I have been working with clay and wood firing for seven years, but I've only lived in Oregon for three and a half. You'll hear us talk about East Creek a lot. That's East Creek Art, which is in Willamina, Oregon. It's a place where a lot of us have wood-fired or have been. So that's basically my home kiln there at the moment. But I make pots. I throw on the wheel. I make sculptural stuff. I really like carving into the pots because I think it creates lovely wells for wood ash and other ash to accumulate. We'll also probably get into what all brought us here. And me personally, being a non-binary person, a lot of the time I'm the first non-binary or trans person that someone has met. And that's very common for me in wood firing. So that's what I feel like brings me here. You know, sometimes it feels like, oh, just because I experienced this doesn't mean that I need to be your education opportunity. But I actually... I actually feel like I have developed a bit of a thicker skin around the conversation, you know, I'm able to most of the time be able to deal with the questions that people ask. And so I feel like it's good for me to be able to do that. Anyway, that's what I think brings me to this specific discussion about critiquing the wood fire space. Thank you. Antra, you're next in the alphabetical order. Thanks. Hi, everyone. My name is Antra Sinha. I use she, her pronouns. And currently, I'm in Logan, Utah. My training with clay began during my studies as a master's student of mural design at Maharaja Shayajirao University of Baroda in India. 
Following that, I immersed myself as an assistant to Ray Meeker and Deborah Smith at their artist and pottery studio called Golden Bridge Pottery in Pondicherry, also in India. During this time, I learned to fire monumental sculptures in a load and in a separate load, several hundreds of pots in a car kiln, which was 70 cubic feet size. There was smaller kiln, 25 cubic feet, and a bigger kiln, 140 cubic feet, all fueled with wood. I participated in building the first Anagama in India at this studio in 2007. I enhanced my understanding of firing with wood kilns through artist residencies in Japan, Australia, Indonesia, and Germany. Since 2015, I have lived in Logan, Utah, and worked at Utah State University. I started as an MFA candidate and now I'm employed by the university. This ceramic facility has five wood kilns, three train kilns, which are about 12, 70, and 140 cubic feet, a 30 cubic feet catenary arch kiln, and a about 60 cubic feet hybrid train and anagama style kiln, basically having a train kiln, buri box, firebox, and an anagama style chamber. There are a variety of sizes of kilns to work with, and the student group is ever-changing, it being an educational institution. The interested group of folks get together, get involved in all chores towards preparing for the firing, and share the usual list of work for successful collaborations around the kiln. Thank you, Anthra. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Aubrey, you're in the hot seat. Okay, I'm Aubrey Sloan. My pronouns are she, her. I am excited to be here with this wonderful group of people. I started ceramics in 2010 at Angelo State University in Texas, got my BFA from there and traveled around, did ceramics always, any place that I lived, but I landed in Portland in 2017. Prior to that, I taught pottery to kids. I've always worked in education, so that's a pretty key component of my engagement with ceramics. I moved to Portland in 2017. And there's a community studio called Stark Street Studios that I joined in 2018. It's been running for around 40 years, owned by Charlie Pyatt. And that community is 10 ceramic artists, and they're mostly members of the Oregon Potters Association. The Oregon Potters Association started in 1980, and there's now like 450 members. I'm currently the president, but I started just as a member. And the Oregon Potters Association is what brought me to wood firing. Alex mentioned earlier East Creek Art. That was my first opportunity and actually is my, at the moment, only experience in wood firing. I went out there in April 2020, which is kind of an interesting time to join the community. <laughs> but it was still a really welcoming space and I fell in love with wood firing. And so now I live out here with my partner, Joe Robinson, who's the co-owner of East Creek, and the goals and practice for me as I've engaged in lots of wood firing pretty quickly is the community. And, you know, I am interested in results. I'm interested in making pots. I love making pots. I love throwing. And I had a full-time business. I have a baby now, so it's not full-time anymore. But, you know, I had a making practice that was mostly electric fired work because that's what I had access to. And so Finding wood firing has really expanded my making world. But the main focus for me is not the work. 
at the moment, although it's a big aspect. I love seeing other people's work. I love the excitement. I'm really interested in engaging in this conversation to talk about the community development around kilns. And we all have a unique perspective because of how we identify in the world, how we see ourselves in the world from our backgrounds. And each kiln has different cultures. It's fun to talk to different people who've been to different kilns around the country. I also really am interested in the development of new leaders and just opportunities for people to grow and be able to move from kiln to kiln. And so that's what's brought me here. One of the things that really sticks with me that is kind of a mantra out here is shared work, shared results. And so, yeah, when thinking about wood firing, that's my main thoughts. And I'm excited to talk more about it in the coming episodes. Thanks. All right, Kareen, take it away. Hello, I'm Kareen Stahl, and I go by Shiva. I grew up sailing and then started up pots when I was a kiddo. Uh, I went to college in Minnesota and then just hung around there, fell into a wonderful mentorship, menteeship with Linda Christensen, and managed to live in a beat-down farmhouse in the St. Croix Valley there and make pots and do carpentry with this wonderful man that I have in my life. I eventually moved on to grad school in Utah and learned so much there and really developed my voice there. Moved to Portland and built the Tin Man Kiln, which was a round chambered about 50 cubic foot stacking space that ran on wood and waste vegetable oil and fired that partially with Mandy at that time for about 13 firings before we needed to take it apart because it was on rental property. Cautionary tale. <laughs> and... <laughs> The story <laughs> continues, maybe. <laughs> so now I live in the country. I do cone six work for chefs primarily. And I have 23 acres and probably 13 tons of bricks and 60 cords of wood. And I'm, well, I'll just say desperate to build my onagama. <laughs> maybe an exaggeration, <laughs> but... Yeah, just in a period of great transition, and Joel has been instrumental in making all of that happen, but the story will continue, so stay mm -hmm. tuned. Thank you. Right. Sorry, Tara, you're at the end of the alphabet. It's okay. <laughs> my name's Mandy Stigant. My pronouns are she, her. I grew up in Texas. Uh, I was a reformed theater kid. I... Uh... <laughs> fell into Alex as well. <laughs> I fell over backwards into ceramics my final semester of college and that changed everything. I started grad school at University of Dallas in uh, 2006 and earned my MA there and then I was accepted into the Utah State program and got the hell out of Texas and went to Utah. And Utah State was my introduction to wood firing and I wound up not actually doing a lot of it during my time there, I wound up doing large-scale gas-fired sculpture in a school known for functional wear and wood firing. So once I graduated there in 2011, I moved out to Portland and met Kareen and started working as her assistant for a couple of years and firing the Tin Man with her. And that was where I, that was really where I started to learn properly how to wood fire and worked through that 
very, very steep learning curve with people who were patient enough to <laughs> to let me learn at my slow, slow learning speed. And eventually started firing out at places like Mount Hood Community College. I was working for Portland Community College. We had a small wood kiln there. Started firing out at East Creek and Pleasant Hill Pottery, which is down south of Eugene. Fired once up in, in Washington, outside of the Seattle area. Most of my wood firing has been very regional to the northwest with some dabbling that happened a long time ago in Utah. So I'm primarily making functional wear now. I moved away from the sculptural work. It was one of those those things where your life goes through so many rapid changes that your work can't possibly stay the same in the face of it. And so I really did an about face once I came out to Portland and changed up everything I was doing. But I have been pretty steady doing that move since and pretty content with doing that. And I'm here because we did a panel at a conference <laughs> this past June that wound up not being nearly long enough for the conversation we really wanted to have. And so here we are today. We will go into that in a bit. Tara. All right. Hi, I'm Tara Wilson, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm a full-time studio potter. I live just outside of Helena, Montana. I set up my studio in 2008 and built a train kiln pretty early on. And now I have a train and a catenary arch. So strictly wood firing. I have an assistant program that I believe I started in 2009. So I've had quite a few assistants come through my program now. Like I said, I'm a full-time potter. I teach quite a few workshops. And then I've also been managing this Women Who Wood Fire Instagram account, which I'm pretty proud of. We'll probably talk about that a little bit at some point in all these episodes. Yeah, and I was a presenter at the Northwest Wood Fire Conference back in early summer. And I wasn't on the panel, but I was another presenter at the conference. And so, yeah, we'll get into all of that, I'm sure. So, yeah, that's all I've got. All right. So the reason we're here, should we talk about the panel discussion? In June 2021, the Joe Robinson coordinated the Northwest Wood Fire Conference that we held in Newburgh, Oregon. And it was a really, really lovely event. I think we had June 2022. It was June 2022. Oh my God. It was last year. Yeah, I know. It feels like a long time ago, but it was not that long ago. Time means nothing anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. June 2022. The basis of that panel went back to 2019 when Karina and I led an all-female firing at East Creek, and it was a really wonderful experience. And the original idea for that panel was to talk about that firing, but the conference was originally going to happen in 2020 when that firing was still fresh. And when the conference got delayed by two years, and then Joe asked me to still organize a panel, a lot had happened since that firing. And I think Karina and I both spent a lot of time thinking about that firing, both the ups and downs of it. And I thought maybe it would be a little more pertinent and productive to have a, a larger conversation. Because what we did was we created a space for these women to come together and wood fire and had this really lovely experience. And we started thinking about larger questions of equity and access and what it means when you take something special like wood firing and then you create a space for a particular demographic who maybe doesn't always get the equity and access that they deserve. And so that was how this panel convened, started with a few of us. And also that thought that by including only women, there was an accidental right. exclusion. 
we called the panel good job do better because okay we had this really lovely experience but it, you know it probably could have been even better there were things that we didn't think about that we have thought about since and so there were six of us on the panel. Mindy is not here with us today. Tara came to the panel and was very excited about it. So we were very happy that she wound up joining this podcast effort. But I think it was Aubrey's idea to do the podcast, wasn't it? I think when we were chatting, maybe, and maybe Alex and I were chatting about it. Yeah, just thinking like it was a one hour panel that we spent eight hours talking about before we did the panel and many hours talking about after the panel. And it seemed like there was lots of conversations to be had. Tara joining the conversation enthusiastically because she was already having that conversation in her spheres. And I think that there's lots of people who are talking about different things and it'd be great to expand the conversation so that people can feel like, hey, this is happening and we can work together. Podcasts are great for that. It expands the conversation from that regional aspect to be able to like really talk about what's happening in the greater expanse of wood firing, the beautiful niche that we all love. <laughs> I can add that I feel grateful that I happened to connect with Corrine just as I was planning on my trip to Portland to come and present at the conference. And we just talked about the fact that there's this panel and I was like, oh, it'd be so fun to be on it. And she was like, well, why don't you join us? I'm like, <laughs> really? So late? Can I join you? And I think that I do feel like my experience of firing wood kilns in this continent is limited to mostly being in Logan, Utah. I was lucky to be part of couple of Komori firings at Jack Troy's studio. But before the conference, that was the only limited experience I had. So I wasn't sure what I could contribute to the panel. But I believe that the experiences that I have had internationally brings a different point of perspective to the things that we are talking about, because I feel like we can bring about a change. And I think that we are bring this conversation on this platform of podcast because we think that there's possibility of change. And so we are all in it together. But yeah, thank you for making the panel happen, having me be, be part of it, and that we are continuing to collaborate. I was so excited when you joined us because I think when it comes to the unintentional biases we have, Americans tend to have a very egocentric perspective, I guess, and, and not necessarily on purpose, but we tend to insulate to just this one country we live in. And so to have you join us with a perspective of not just one other, but many other countries and cultures of wood firing, I think was really invaluable just because a lot of us just don't have that and don't think about it enough. Yeah. Having said that, it's also just such a small window into that that, of course, it is just perhaps a way of expanding and broadening our horizons. Right. So that's where we started <laughs> with this whole idea. Should we talk about the title of the podcast? Sure. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. 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 Once again, I think it was Aubrey who said it, who said heat work. <laughs> Yay, Aubrey! <laughs> I'm full of ideas. Yeah. Good thing that every, everyone else here has lots of follow through. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about where that idea came from? Well, originally, when we talked about it, it was Firebox. That was the first thought. And 
or stoking the firebox or something. And I think there was something else, another podcast. I think it was nice that we took time to workshop the name and think about what are we talking about? And of course we want something that's catchy, that suits the medium and like the conversation and also encapsulates our goals. And thinking about heat work in the kiln is that's how everything develops and it does take time and pressure and heat and yeah I think it's something we can all understand we have to do heat work to get to the finished result that we want and it's a good thing and sometimes it's challenging sometimes you're trying to get there and none of the cones will go down and you're like do we add air do we change the damper do we what do we do and so I think it's a good metaphor if you will to what are we hopefully going to be doing in conversation that's my thought. I don't know if other people have thoughts about that too. I, I like its parallel to the effect on the personality of the person who is participating. He, this yeah. labor, this life is work, but then you can play on work and spell it W-E-R-K. It's like a celebration. <laughs> <laughs> I think what struck me about it was Again, Mindy, who was on the panel with us in June, but isn't here right now, she made a point of saying that the kind of conversation we're having can't be just one conversation. It's an ongoing effort. Issues of equity and access and inclusion are are a life's work. You can't just do a one and done on things like this. And so when Aubrey said heat work, that really clicked into place as a, as a means, because it is, it can be grueling, it can be slow, you have to be patient with it, it doesn't always pay off immediate rewards, but it's, it's a long game. Heat work is demonstrative of the long game of wood firing, and I think we're talking about a long game discussion about why we love wood firing, but also how we can improve it, because I think it can always be improved. Um, and another thing of working together, if you have a long game going on, you really need to have a team that respects mm -hmm. all the members and passes the baton in a meaningful way that can accomplish mm -hmm. that goal together. Right. I, I was thinking about what I think Mandy you said earlier was shared work, shared results. It's the same, not just with the firing, but with this kind of conversation. And you can't just skirt around this conversation. Like, it, yeah, you, you have to be involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the mid-roll. We wanted to take a moment to talk about language, terms, and acronyms. This is a conversation that encompasses and involves an ever-evolving landscape of terms and language. All of us are still learning and adjusting to these terms as we try to break free of the molds and norms within which we have come to function as comfortable, out of a sense of familiarity, and for many of us, a certain amount of privilege. When these terms come up, we will try to catch them all to elaborate in the mid-rolls and also include them in our show notes for reference. So in this episode, you will hear mentioned AAPI, which stands for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, stands for Black and Indigenous People of Color. DEI is Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. LGBTQIA+, which stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, Intersex, Asexual, and more. Queer is a shorthand term for LGBTQIA+, and also the Q in the longer acronym. Trans is a term used to describe someone whose gender does not align with the one they were assigned at birth. Intersectionality is the way people's social identities can overlap. It is an understanding that all inequality is not created equal. 
Intersectionality is a lens, a prism, for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate each other. I think that covers the terms that come up in this first episode, and again, they will also be listed in the show notes. Okay, we'll get back to it. I thought maybe we could each contribute a little bit about Alex in their introduction, talked a little bit about their stake in this conversation, but you know, maybe we could each talk a little bit about that because we're going to be branching off. We're positing a format for this podcast wherein we rotate hosts. This will probably be one of the few where all six of us are gathered in one place to talk and we'll probably be branching off in twos and threes, maybe with some guests along the way. But we were also brainstorming specific topics and areas of interest that we each have. So maybe as a preview into what's coming, we could all express some areas of interest that we have. Tara, do you want to do you want to go first? Oh, Aubrey, Aubrey raised her hand. Oh, no, it's OK. I was just I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know who's how we're going to decide who's going to talk. So I'll just <laughs> <say something>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go in reverse alphabetical order for this one. Tara, take it away. All right, I'll start up. I guess I was really excited to join this group of people because I feel like I've been having this conversation quite a bit or conversations around these topics quite a bit through teaching and different things. And I feel like a lot of times when I am teaching a workshop, the people that are drawn to take my classes are generally women or also a lot of more minority type of people. So that was one of the reasons too that I started that Women Who Would Fire Instagram because I was teaching a workshop and it was all women that took my workshop and we were just brainstorming people that they should look to or look up. And I felt like I was always making this list. So that was the impetus to start that Instagram. Anyways, I'm kind of digressing, but I just thought it would be great to join this group because just in the rest of my life, I feel like I am often having these dialogues. So I was really excited to be part of this. I think some of the things that I'm interested in addressing I'd like to do some interviews of other women that I have looked to as role models and how they've paved the way for us. Yeah, that's definitely one of my interests. And then also maybe just jumping in on some of the other conversations. And there's so many different conversations that we can have. Pretty diverse topic, but also focused within wood firing. Oh. Crap, I'm, I'm the next one. <laughs> well, as I said earlier, the very early jumping off point of this was was this all-female firing that Kareen and I led, and we've had a lot of time to ruminate and think on the highs and lows of that since. And and it, it really was a... It, I'm going to sound very woo-woo for a second. When I say it was a transcendental experience, <laughs> there was this really wonderful, unique energy that came from these women coming together and working together. And it was pretty unlike any other wood fire experience that I think Corrine or I or anybody else in that group had had. And it was about space to breathe. And it was about space to learn. It was an experience that was remarkable enough to pick apart a little bit. And so when it comes to I don't know, our our places in the white male patriarchy (laughs) that on on an intersectional sense, my experience as a woman and also as a a queer woman is is a little bit, I don't know, light on the experiential front with having trouble with equity and access, but it was the inroad of understanding the need. And so I 
would like to have more conversations about that. I'm also very interested in legacy, which Tara just talked about a little bit. The people who got us to the place that we are and how we're looking at what kind of legacy are we leaving to generations that follow and are we improving it and are we passing on that knowledge? Because I think that's a very important factor too, is just making sure that knowledge and experience are valued and not lost as we go on, but also continuing to learn often from the younger generations who are coming after us. So that's something that I'm very interested in is the slow generational torch passing and what that has looked like and what it looks like now and what it could look like going forward. And that's where I am. Karine? Hello. I'm very stoked about this. I am quite curious to explore other cultures and hopefully take a deep dive into building a few relationships with a few potters who can be open about their personal experience in in other countries and cultures. I was thinking Scandinavia, Australia, Japan, perhaps. I'm curious to talk with some elder potters about some Legacy questions, but mostly actually just some hard facts about how to create spaces that are friendly for an aging body doing this kind of labor. Details like putting things in the studio on wheels and just some some hard facts like that, tips and tricks. And I'm also <laughs> really not sure how to tackle this one very well, but I'd love to talk with some of the wonderful, thoughtful men out there, cis men, who think a lot about these questions and already had some pretty awesome conversations. I'd like to get back to that and bring in that perspective. Okay, somebody else. So any community that I found myself in, ceramics is pretty much my life in a lot of ways, but I've been in other communities. I grew up in a very religious background. And so I like had a lot of community growing up, although I don't practice in that way. I still have always found myself in community. And one of the things that Alex and I spoke about, I remember like sitting on the couch or something when we were talking about this, the communities that we're in are just a microcosm of things that are going on in the world. You can bring people around you that have a similar mind in certain ways, but also like around ceramics or wood firing. But everyone has different backgrounds and experiences and also ways that they develop community and also have engaged with different groups of people. And so I am really interested in thinking about where the good and great things like the doing good part of like that workshop, the do good and the do better. And also thinking about how do when people arrive at a space how, what is their experience like from their perspective and engaging with BIPOC, AAPI, and, and just talking to some people and say, like, when you show up to a wood firing space, what's that experience like for you, partially from an artist perspective and partially from like your cultural perspective and your background and what feels welcoming? What are some ways that we could grow for people who don't understand that perspective to like, support more community? I've engaged with different friends here who are in the queer community and have had some experiences that have been challenging, whether it be around pronouns, around how people interact. And I've had lots of conversations about that. And it's really, it's been important to talk about it and talking with those people 
they really appreciate the conversation and are willing to say like, hey, this is how we can change and grow. I feel welcome. This was a tough thing. It's not the first time I've had a tough time. And they're willing to help make it better and help teach me. And I feel like even being on this panel, like I learned so much from different perspectives. We all have such different views and goals. And so hearing each of you speak, it's like, oh, that's a really interesting thing to learn about that I hadn't really thought because I don't think about that as much. So I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to really try to learn how to make spaces better for people in our wood firing community. And what's cool is that knowledge will just build out into the world and the way we interact with our other communities. And I think that type of shift can really expand in a beautiful way. And who even knows <laughs> how much it could grow? So, you know, be the change you want to see. I don't know. That's kind of cliche, but that's my goal is to really engage in the conversation in that way. Entra. Right. I feel like coming from a totally different context, I may take a few seconds to describe the kind of groups that formed around wood kiln firings at Golden Bridge Pottery in India, where my training began. It was basically students to Raymaker or students to the studio who would be doing firings. And the demographic happened to be female just because making a living with pottery is hard. So men were basically going for secure jobs. And the fact that, I mean, I was teaching assistant to Ray several times. And what I learned from Ray, and I'll bring something about teaching here, just because I feel like community building around wood kilns is like that. When you're a teacher, I learned from Ray is that you may have to repeat the same thing many number of times and say it in a way as if you're saying it for the first time to the student. And that's really interesting and not something that I learned in the first go. Like I noticed it with facilitating workshops when artists from, you know, invited artists, Jeff Shapiro, Tim Rowan, and Jack Troy, they came to Golden Bridge and we had workshops. And I noticed the way they approached talking about wood kiln, talking about what happens inside the chamber to a group of 20 people, among whom some of us were from GBP and had done wood kiln firings, but some were new. And it seemed like the way they approached the topic seemed like they were reaching out to everyone equally. And I think that it's possible to be done. I feel like I have had that experience. Now, when I have worked in different artist studios, it's really easy because the artist just gives you the indication as to where, what is, and what's the rhythm that is used in this particular studio to do the wood kiln. And because it's almost like you're, you might be a new gear in the clog, but everything else is moving. And so you know, and you know, there's of course help, but you're helped, but you kind of move with the clog easily because everything else is in place because they have a firing crew, which firing at Robert Barron Studio in Australia, it was a very good mix of gender and this was 2011. We were not talking about non-binary and diversity, equity, inclusion the way we are talking right now. So if there were people who 
were transgender, we wouldn't know. It was just that there were people and we all worked together towards firing this kiln. And most times I found really collaborative and comfortable spaces around the kiln. Another thing that I think a metaphor is, I feel like I have good friends and people who like sweets because I like savory things. So if we have both the things on the table, <laughs> then I take the savory ones and they take the sweet ones. If we were all alike, then we would fight over something. I mean, I'm just making it up. But with wood kiln firing, there's so many different layers of things that need to be done. The fact that we all bring the capacities and potentials and power or intelligence, whatever, different things to a group, that forms a good group where we all are able to bring in what's the best in us and it's not necessarily overlapping. I mean, well, there needs to be overlap. I'm sorry. It's not about competing. It's not about trying to catch the same thing. It's about filling in the gaps and being prepared to just pick something from the table which is available. So thinking about that, and then wood firing is a very hard work. We all know it. So in that, when we are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I am thinking about bringing in conversation people who are thinking about it, who are thinking about inclusiveness, but have a hard time because of resources or because of not having enough contacts or there might be other hurdles or hindrances that we can't imagine, but they exist in the society that we live in. So I am interested in bringing to conversation, finding tools as to how people who are wanting to bring inclusion in wood-firing communities how we can do that. And I think, you know, some of you have spoken about talking to experienced partners and see what they are thinking and how the conversation can bring diverse groups of people. I believe the DEI also covers disability. I think there are brilliant people out there who can bring their perspective to this community. And yes, certain aspects of wood fire culture just because i am from india i feel like talking about the way wood is used for creating pottery in the traditional indian context which is not stoneware pottery is another segue we might touch on that in future and yeah i think that sometimes the use of words knowingly or unknowingly might not be appropriate, but when we do form a group and choose to trust and have faith in the group, so bringing that conversation that maybe I said something incorrectly right now, but I am interested in listening to you and changing the way I say something so that it feels like I embrace you. Well, I want you to be comfortable here. I think having those conversations to bring trust and faith in forming groups, expanding the group, and bringing in people who may be slightly barely thinking about it, bringing them to 
taking bigger steps towards this change. And I think that that segues into my point of perspective with Heatworks also, where when you keep it at that peak temperature, part of the kiln is cone 10, part of the kiln is cone 8, but we just keep it at that for a long period of time for the cone 8 region to slowly get the cone 9 and then 9, so that you're holding that conversation, holding that peak temperature with this coming together, talking and doing this podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Alex, you're up. And that cat looks very, very <laughs> content. They're <laughs> spoiled. This is her favorite blanket, too, oh, so it's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap. You're never leaving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just really just loving everything that everyone said and <laughs> bringing to the table. I was just thinking just to think about how I got involved with the panel and with the podcast. I think, Mandy, you approached me at East Creek and asked if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was just totally humbled by that and wanted to be on board. And I think, thinking about what I said in my intro a little bit, that sometimes a trans or non-binary person doesn't always want to be their own advocate. But I forgot to mention in my intro, I have a BFA in sculpture and an MFA in applied craft and design. And both of my theses were centered around just my own personal experience as a non-binary person. And so it's really important for me to talk about that and to use my art to talk about that, because I think it's a unifying, especially clay, I feel like it's such a unifying medium, what unifies people from all walks of life. Clay feels very unbiased to me. <laughs> so thinking about that, the panel went amazing. Like has been said, this podcast stemmed from the the need for to just the conversation to continue. And I was raised, I'm from North Carolina. I was not born there, but raised there. And the South is just such a, it's a melting pot of culture, of religion, of, I mean, really like LGBTQIA people like myself. And I think just growing up, I just remember just seeing the value and being surrounded by all different types of people. And I think that, I think, Andre, you said the word, like, it's not just like being okay with people that are different than you. It's about embracing people who are different than you and finding the joy in the differences. And so I think going from that, I thinking about the women who would fire, I said to Aubrey, It'd be cool if we had a, you know, a, a queer firing or an LGBTQ firing. And so this is my teaser slash plug for what I'll probably talk about in the next episode is that with Aubrey and another fellow wood-fired potter, Twig Cosby, he and I have applied for grants and we're getting hopefully a fully funded firing <laughs> of East Creek's Catenary Arch Kiln, which is a wood soda kiln. It's happening in May. We've gotten quite a bit of funding already. We're still trying to get the last little bit so that it's totally paid for that people have access to the space free of charge. And there's some other details that I'll, I won't spoil it all right now, but I heard the rack grant just came through. It did! <laughs> the rack. Congratulations on that. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. I, I, it, yeah. Just so awesome. 
So it's amazing what putting our heads together can do. And so we're trying to just create the space for people to feel comfortable to explore things like wood firing. Because yeah, from my experience, I would describe myself as stubborn. So like when I want to do something, I will do it. I love wood firing. I'm going to make a space for myself. But not everyone is like that. And so I think it's really important to start this one firing is not the be all end all to the conversations that are going to be had, the space and the feeling that we're hoping to create the people that will be inviting and having participate in the in this LGBTQ specific firing. So yeah, that's, I think that's all I want to say. Alex, are you seeking from the audience potential participants? In this um, I just used so, the opportunity of a plug to ask that question. Twig and I actually have been talking about this recently. We are hoping to reserve some of the cubes for people that we may not necessarily know. But I wouldn't say that I'm trying to plug on the podcast at the moment. I think also by the time maybe this episode is out, we might have enough people filled in. But in the event that this episode comes out and we don't have enough space filled, we'll put a link in the show notes for a Google form that you can fill out if you're interested. Something you said just a second ago caught my attention and interest where you said you, know, you, you are stubborn and you are capable and willing of making a place for yourself, even if it's not necessarily readily apparent that that's available to you, that you, you will make that happen. And I just feel like that's one of the really key things when it comes to advocacy. Not everybody has that assertiveness and not everybody feels quite that level of confidence or welcome. And I just think it's really powerful for someone like you to be to be that kind of assertive person because you are the one. It's people who can be assertive who can help the people who have a hard time being assertive. And so I think I think it's a really powerful thing that you are willing to put yourself front and center and say, hey. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, I have not always been this way. It's been, like I said, I with my higher education goals for that work was to be the mentor I didn't have, essentially. So uh, that's where it comes from. But yeah, I have definitely not always been so forthright with what I want. But thank you. That's really nice for you to say. I kind of want to add something too. Just, I know when I spoke, I talked about what you guys were referring to as legacy. And I talked about doing some interviews with women who have paved the way for us. But I think also there's this common theme that I know everyone in our group is really interested in. And that's just moving forward and how we can create spaces that are more inclusive for our community. And I'm really excited to be a part of this group because I feel like you guys all bring such a diverse background to that. And one thing I've talked about in conversation with other women is just how can we build our tool belt or have different tools in our tool belt. So when we are in situations like we have, have these things that we can draw on. And I'm really excited to have these conversations with all of you because I think it's really going to build our tool belt. And then also thinking about our audience. And I really hope that our audience is going to be broader than just women. I hope a lot of men will tune in as well. And I think our group, we're really trying to be very inclusive and just through our conversations, giving everybody tools that they can take back to their own communities. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm hoping that in a lot of this, the Woodfire community, I was talking to a friend about this, you know, because it seems like, oh, it's a lot of people I know, but it's pretty small and people talk to each other. And I think we're going to get feedback from people that'll help grow the conversation and ideas that we hadn't even thought about. And that's going to be really cool. And it's like it's a conversation that I think feels really open 
and we want to engage with those ideas. And so I think that's a nice way is like, yeah, we want to be inclusive and diverse within like our group and then also within the greater construct of this community that we are calling our community, which is all these people who love this thing we love. Yeah, like let's talk about it and work together. That's cool. One of the things that was really encouraging following the panel was that the conversations continued for the rest of the conference. I think we all found ourselves having conversations surrounding that whole subject. And what was really heartwarming for me and encouraging were, you know, people like, you know, Jack Troy came to the panel and was really engaged and I think had a lot of conversations with Aubrey about it. I've had a lot of conversations with Jesse, who runs the, the Pleasant Hill Pottery Count, and he's absolutely looking for ways to more systematically be inclusive, not systematically, uh, systemically <laughs> be inclusive and, and, and trying to find ways to do that while navigating the difficulty of being a private kiln owner, bringing people onto his private property and not really being able to just be a fully open public model like Geese Creek is. So it's it's really interesting to me the the way that it seemed like the gears started turning in a lot of heads and not just for women or people of color or, or gender fluid and non-binary people, but, but the men in the room seem to be engaged. And, and so Tara, what you're saying, you hope we have a wide base of listeners. I felt very encouraged with that, that we weren't being relegated to our corner. I didn't have a sense of being pushed aside into like a niche group with that. I think everybody in that room or most of the people in that room seemed very on board with what we were talking about and ways to improve and ways to bring a new normal that's better for everybody. Just painting the picture of that room where we had the panel, where all the seats were full and there were people standing and they all stood there for the whole panel, speaks for the interest that people had in this topic because they want to be a part of this change. I'll just make a note also that in the future, maybe we have obviously a comments department or an, a forum of some sort. Oh, I was supposed to set up an email address. I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> we were hoping people would feel moved for some feedback. And also, we have ideas of what's going on in our own regions and what people are up to. But there is a national and international wood fire community. And I, I think all of us would be quite interested to know what else is going on, whether it's in, in the form of singular projects like Alex and Twig's queer firing. Is it okay to use the term queer, Alex? I'm sorry. No. It, I love the word queer, but I know not everybody does. Uh, no, I actually, it's funny you say that because Twig and I are having this exact conversation right now. We are both okay with that. It's kind of a shorthand, but we understand that not everybody is necessarily uses that word who sure. might be a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. So I think it's up to you. If you've, I mean, yeah, you're, yeah, your discretion. Okay. But whether it's a singular event, like one firing that people are hosting and hoping to maybe make a tradition out of, or whether it's whole communities and crews who are trying to rotate in a sense of more access, like I, I would love to hear about how other people, because I know we're not the only ones interested in this and doing things. Um, plenty of people are, are on board with this. And so I think it would be really neat to to hear about a lot of that. And at the risk of the floodgates opening, maybe we can feature some people. <laughs> there was also a mental note to integrate definitions of certain shorthand or acronyms mm -hmm. in, for lack of a better word, real time, like in the midst of them being used that we 
take a second to help people understand some of mm-hmm. the clarity that you just sought from Alex. You know, that's a perfect example. You're right. And I think, well, and I think uh, Aubrey brought up. I just blinked on the acronym. You did an AAPI. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, and I think another thing we can try to make a practice of doing is when those terms come up, we can put them in the episode descriptions. So wherever wherever people are downloading their podcast from, they they can reference those descriptions for some of those definitions if we don't define them in real time. I feel like having those notes would be beneficial. I think having the back and forth conversation. I liked the question and answer. It's good to have that because I feel like for a listener perspective, you want to listen to the conversation. think if we can even ask in real time, that would be cool to play off of that. And Well, it's normalizing the questions too and ready answers, I guess, or not ready answers, but normalizing that kind of dialogue because I think a lot of people feel inhibited about even asking yeah. a lot of questions. And I feel like we need to be open to that and we have to be open to people's learning curves. Totally. If you shut down somebody who's trying to learn, then they stop learning. Yeah. And I think the world of like you were talking about like American culture, and I don't know if it's just human culture where sometimes you offend people and it's okay to say you're sorry to just be like, (laughs) I was wrong. I was wrong. It feels bad. It's kind of scary, especially if you're a position of leadership or you're a person in community and you've done wrong and it's easy to shut someone out versus apologize because you'd rather save your pride to go down that rabbit hole. And I think that's something that I'm learning a lot about is just being comfortable sometimes saying the wrong thing and then having to just say like, not knowing isn't an excuse, but I didn't know and I'm sorry and I'm going to try and change. And like, That's okay. Although it's hard to do. <laughs> There's a pretty solid correlation, I think, between a sense of wrist slapping and the knee jerk reaction. We've got a background in America, especially as, as a culture of, no, you don't do that. And so we don't, we don't like to get caught being wrong, you right. know? And so I think a lot of us have to fight that knee jerk reaction to be like, oh no, I not that I didn't say that. Yes, you did say that, but where are you going to go from there? And I think that's part of a healing process that we have to go through as a culture is getting to the point of being introspective enough and open enough to understand that you can be wrong and come back from that. You know? Well, having lived in different continents, I can say that it's a human (laughs) it's a human condition yes (laughs) (laughs) well if i can segue into looking ahead immediately i think we have two follow-up episodes to this somewhat framed out i think the next recording will be kareen tara and i talking a bit about what we've done we'll go to our rooms and think about what we've done and (laughs) talking about what we are doing currently where the energy is at the moment kareen and i will talk about about the women's firing tara will talk about i think you were hoping to talk about your uh, assistant program and the instagram the women who would fire profiles Mm -hmm. and then a follow-up to that will be alex aubrey and antra all the a's talking about where we are and where we're going. I think Alex was hoping to talk about, I'm sorry, Kareen, you also want to talk about the Tin Man. And yeah, okay. I didn't mean to leave that out. Uh, Alex talking about the firing coming up that they and Twig are doing. Aubrey maybe talking about where East Creek is as a model. And Antara talking about the USU pedagogy, because you're you're right in the middle of that, but also the, the worldwide perspective that you can bring to the table and go into some more details about that. 
So that's where we are. That's what we're doing. Yay. Cool. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps just being with all of you and <laughs> yeah, I think re- referencing back to that panel room, I was like, oh, yeah, that that was really impactful. And that's cool. Yeah, it feels good to be doing like doing it. It did feel it felt really good to be in that room and with the energy going in there. And it was felt a little spicy going into it. Like I was nervous. <laughs> and I, I think I think a few yeah. of us were nervous about it. Very nervous. Yeah. Thank you, Mandy, for spearheading this as well. I feel like you oh. really have done a lot of the legwork and just really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Honestly, it was, it, Aubrey was like, let's do a podcast. I was like, oh, I know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that will, that's sweet. Yeah, there's no way I would can get us started on this. You know? Yeah, and I want to add that the confirmation from the audience, and especially Tara, that you just made sure that this topic is important and that we are here. I think that if you who listened to us in the audience were not as supportive and so confident that we should go ahead. Maybe we would have just not thought, or I, I would have thought that, oh, we are just talking about it. I'm not sure whether we should, but having you who were part of the audience, who listened, who heard all that we spoke and the fact that you brought to the table that we do need to talk more about it and take it to the world. I mean, you were one of them. (laughs) I think that that was really important. And the fact that you're part of this is is very, what should I say, confidence boosting. Thanks, Ancha. One of my initial reactions to that panel, or maybe even like leading into before I went to the panel was, because I've been on a few similar panels at different conferences, and I initially had this thought, why are we doing this again? I feel like these panels have existed at Woodfire conferences, and it, I hope that leading into it, I was like, does it need to, do we have to like rehash this again? Like, can't we get to the point where it's just every panel and every, all the presenters are more equally diverse? It doesn't necessarily have to be 50 50 men, women, non binary people, all of that. But then when I even looked at the schedule, there was this panel, and then the rest of the presenters were predominantly men. And so I guess we still, it still needs to happen because we haven't reached that point where the entire conference presenters are more diverse. And then I I really enjoyed going to the panel and there's always something to learn. I think the last few years, conversations have really changed very quickly. And even being a woman, I feel like I, and maybe it's partly COVID and part of where I live, my community in rural Montana is not that diverse. And so just keeping up with the dialogue and even in the conversation with with you guys, I realized I'm not keeping up with all of that stuff. And like we said, we should all be open and be able to apologize and make sure that we're making space and being inclusive to everybody. Yeah. One thing that you talked about the conference and the panels not necessarily being as fully equally represented and you know, I talked to Joe about it because he built all those panels out, which is kind of like, hey, why does it look that way? And it was an interesting note because one thing he referenced, which speaks to this, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, is a lot of men reached out and applied and were like, I want to do a panel. And he had to ask other people, even with Mandy's panel, had to really encourage like, yeah, do it. And a couple of other people who presented really kind of had to just encourage and say, like, you do have something to say. 
your perspective is valid. People want to hear you. And like Alex was talking about advocating for themselves in less represented groups or groups that haven't been as empowered, they still don't feel empowered. And one of my hopes is that having these conversations and being a group where we're like, hey, we're not experts per se, but we're as expert as we are and we want to grow and we have something to say. And like, so do you who can relate with who we are and if people want to hear what you have to say. And you can feel okay to stand up in that room and be accepted. And yeah, I hope that we can really grow leadership where people feel like they can lead a panel. And, you know, I went to lots of different panels and I went to your panel, Tara. I came to part of Antra's panel and part of Kareem. I saw lots of different panels and I was like, yeah, y'all have some serious stuff to say. It's like good and like, oh yeah. And so I think really bringing forth that representation I think like interviewing people and then being like, why would you want to interview me? Because you're awesome and you have cool things to say that people want to hear. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to be asked and you also have to be told what you have to say is valuable and then people will start to step up. And I hope that that's that future that we talk about is where people feel like I do have something to say and people will say, yeah, we want to hear it. I don't know. I like rambling, saying the same thing <laughs> over and over. But, you know, you get the idea of, yeah, that's part of the reason why we don't see the representation is because people don't feel like they... They're imposters and, you know, they're not. Well, and it's scary. It's scary yeah. if you're feeling isolated and like nobody's really in your boat or nobody around you is having the experience that you're having. It's scary to step out and say, hey, I'm here. I want to talk. I want to do things. That's a courage, the like of which is hard to muster for a lot of folks, whether it's pure stage fright or whether it's a fear of people only seeing your differences and not valuing you, you know, or, you know, or feeling like what you have to say has no value. I mean, that fear is real. And if we can do anything to help alleviate that and help people understand there are people who want to hear you and there are people who want to talk to you. And like what you said, Aubrey, you have something to say. And I would love it if people felt like they could say it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I second that. I think the more that we talk about it, the more we bring attention to people who need to be heard and they are somehow not feeling, or they have fear, for example, talking them out of that and make, giving them tools. <laughs> tools comes here too, to make a proposal. It's not that we don't know how to do it. It's just that we do need support for that step also. And I think that we are doing it. We are trying to reach out and, and I'll connect it to, you know, the email address and like getting feedback from people and all of that. We want to hear from everyone and we want all of you to apply for conferences too and bring diversity in all levels of, of conference, of society, so, so to say, of our community and Woodfire community now. I think Tara, yeah. you said something a little while ago about the tools in the toolbox, mm -hmm. like assembling. And, and I think that was something you and Linda Christensen and Liz Lurie yep. talked about yeah, in, the, yeah. in that panel that you did. Do you, do you want to say anything about that? Yeah. When I was on the this panel with Linda Christensen and Liz Lurie, we had talked about that a lot and about moving forward, what, what we want to see our community like moving forward and just brainstorming building a tool belt like and the tools in our tool belt and how we can share that with people. I'm hoping through this podcast we'll be doing that as well, but just giving 
other people tools that when they go back into their own wood firing community, they're prepared. So if there is some instance or something around the, the wood kiln or during a firing that you're prepared. Cause I think a lot of times when things happen, at least for me, I'm taken off guard and then I don't speak up or I don't say anything. And, and I'm sure that's just my personality, but if we're prepared and have these tools in our tool belt and we know how to manage that situation ahead of time, it just makes it a lot easier to engage with everybody in the firing or in that group in the moment. I know Linda and Liz and I talked a lot about that of like how to address things in the moment too. Just being prepared so that you can address them in the moment and that you don't just have to shut down and then you kind of ruminate on it and get upset. Yeah. <laughs> or, or accidentally let something sit too long and yeah. you, you want to be able to address things yeah. timely, especially if it comes to somebody feeling included and and mm-hmm. valued. It can be hard, especially with some of the larger wood fire crews, like some of the Anagama firings. Out at East Creek, we have upwards of 50 people out there sometimes, and it can, it can be hard when you're leading those firings to keep your finger on the pulse of everybody's mm-hmm. comfort and, and inclusion and yeah efforts and trying to make sure everybody, knowing that you, you probably can't make everybody happy, but trying to make sure you're as conscious of as, of as many people mm-hmm. as you can be. And it's hard. It, it's, yeah. it can be a pretty difficult effort. It's really hard to pay attention to the kiln. Mm-hmm. and pay attention to what's going on around. Right. I yeah. think that all mm-hmm. of us who's been there can really recognize that. So if, if you have the trust and the faith of all the people who are in the team, that you are thinking about them. Because being a captain of the ship who's really trying to steer and understand how the kiln is going. <laughs> right. I think that's a good note maybe for a future to really think about scenarios and tools, like specifically like, like here's a handful of tools. Mm-hmm. This is an episode on some tools that you might use. And especially for people who are in the, the position of leading firings, because you're not just firing the kill and you're managing a community of people. You know, it's, it's a big job. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And so feeling like you're equipped for that. Well, I mean, Pate asked that specific question at the panel. Yeah. Of the few questions we took, that was the question that yeah. he wanted to ask. I was so excited about that question. And then it was like the time was out and we never, <laughs> yeah, you guys I, never really got to address it. But I think that is huge. I feel like we could do like multiple episodes just on that question. It was neat the way he said it. He was, I'm about to paraphrase what he said, but he said, what is it that those of us who are innately in a position of privilege, given our culture, what is it that we can be equipped with to help address this? Mm-hmm. He was asking us because he wanted to learn. He wanted to know how he can advocate, basically. And that was so, I mean, well, Pate's a love anyway, but <laughs> but to get that kind of engagement is really a pretty neat moment. Yeah. Another <laughs> thought I had, and we can have another episode on that issue, but I think this group is really great because of our diverse backgrounds and our firing experiences too. And one thing I can somewhat relate to Pate's question, because a lot of times when I'm firing, it's at my studio, I'm the one in charge. And I think that demands a lot of respect from both men and women and non like everyone that comes to my kiln to fire with me generally has this level of respect for me. And just because of the dynamic, the situation. But I also have to be aware of the social dynamic of everybody that's there. And so just because a person is treating me with respect doesn't mean that they're treating the other women at the count with that same level of respect. And so having to be the advocate 
for everybody. Good point. I think we got lots of good content today. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the things, because we're hitting just about at the hour and a half point, and one of the things about that panel is we just plumb ran out of time. This was such a much bigger topic than we could cram into it. And, and, you know, me, I was worried about filling that time. <laughs> and then we ran 20 minutes over and didn't get anywhere near where we wanted to. <laughs> That's why this podcast. That's why the podcast. We just, we just want to keep this going and we want to talk about it more. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Does anybody have anything else to add? I mean, we, we introduced ourselves. We talked about why the podcast and some specifics. I think I'll just add that these are the thoughts that we are coming up with, and we would have future episodes trying to answer some of these questions. Hopefully, if Pate is interested, bringing him on so that he poses the question and we talk about it because I think that the back and forth that can happen in that conversation because he brought that question would help us create tools mm -hmm. for different sets of people. We're talking about tools for different sets of people here. But we also, as we mentioned before, that are interested in bringing topics or bringing point of perspectives and, and themes that we need to talk about from whoever is listening. And we'll create a platform so that we can hear you and address those questions or topics. And that wraps up this first go around on heat work. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll come back for more. Also, from me personally, thank you, Alex, Aubrey, Antra, Kareen, and Tara for forming this group with me. And in addition, thank you, Mindy, for being on the original panel that sparked this whole discussion. And thank you, Joe Robinson, for organizing the Northwest Woodfire Conference, which afforded us the platform for the original panel. I can't wait to see where this will go. Our initial endeavor is to rotate hosts and to publish three or four serial episodes each quarter. We are still feeling out a comfortable publishing rhythm that we can all manage. Please bear with us. Do you have feedback, comments, questions, or news about your own wood-firing ambitions and aspirations? We want to hear from you. Please email us at heatworkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Julie Chaddock at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo. You can find her on Facebook. Thank you also to Joshua Clausen for our music. You can find him on Facebook and SoundCloud. And thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Mm -hmm.